Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, welcome to this free episode of Dunk Dot. I'm Dan Feldman. I'm very glad to share with you some big news. Seth Partnow is joining Dunk Don. And I won't keep you long because coming up, you're going to hear Seth and Nate discuss what Seth is going to be doing for us. A lot of statistical analysis, some very cool stuff. If you want to subscribe to get all of Seth's content, you can do so at dunkdon.supportingcast.fm. We've got a sale going in conjunction with Seth's arrival. Dunkdon.supportingcast.fm. All right, I teased it yesterday. We are incredibly excited to be adding another awesome creator to the Dunk Down universe. Seth Partnow, how you doing, man? I'm doing fine. I uh, I enjoyed the the pause for effect there. Yeah, sadly, it'll probably get edited out when I take out the sounds. <laughs> so I just sound silly. Great. Um. <laughs> and people like to know the behind the scenes process and. Uh, that's what I tell myself when I forget to make an edit and people see it. So uh, that's okay. People are not here for the incredible editing. They are here for awesome basketball talk and awesome basketball stats now that you will not be able to get anywhere else. So that's a, a big part of what Seth is going to be doing for us. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second. But first, you're going to be doing some writing for us, which is probably what I am most excited about. Uh, I would say it's it's some nuggets for you. Um, I've found over the years since I left the Bucks front office that that there's been a lot of times when I'm just looking at something, messing around, and come up with with an interesting bit of of, of statistical analysis that isn't really worth. Uh, a whole article unto itself. Uh, and I've kind of in the past just sort of shot those out on Twitter, and that's fine. Uh, but it's easy for those just to get lost. I, even when I go back and try to find something I've done previously for, oh, I, 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 I like the visualization or, or I like the stat I did there. It's it's very difficult to find. And, and um, for people who are interested, which I think your audience very much is uh making sure you just don't miss it you get the little bite-sized bits um you know a couple times a week uh and and I, hopefully that that's the kind of thing that increases understanding and enjoyment yeah seth of course you still have your full-time job so <laughs> that's a a slight limiting factor so it's not gonna be a crazy amount of stuff but we're proud to have you associated with us in whatever capacity that you want to give us and so these will be part of dan's daily dunks you're always going to have something on mondays right and then a couple times a week one or two times a week uh, outside of that yeah something to uh, hopefully accompany the, the the 50 the 15 and 60s um i think you and danny do a do a good job of of contextualizing with some uh some stats as you're you're kind of looking over things and i think uh, giving the listeners a, a bit more of an insight into the kinds of things that that you know teams and, and analysts within teams look at to make those evaluations themselves, I think would be uh, would be very useful. 
Yeah, so we're we're gonna hopefully get a lot of feedback from y'all uh, as well in the Discord to email us at dunkedonprime at gmail.com. It's all stuff that you would like to see from Seth. And another great aspect of, of what he's doing is that Danny and I are now gonna have access to a, a bunch of his sets that use the tracking data. What's some of the unique stuff that you're going to be giving us uh, on a weekly and sometimes daily basis uh, to help our cover? Um, you can build a, a pretty robust kind of simple shot quality model uh, uh, based off of the stuff that's that that's getting released by uh, by NBA.com. Obviously, uh, rim protection is a, is a big uh, and paint defense is, is always a big topic. Um, Miles Turner is having a pretty monster rim protection season so far. Yes, um, yes. <laughs> um, uh, Brooke Lopez is also having his usual um, massive impact in, in, in that area. Um, there are uh, some stats on on you know breaking down usage a little bit more. I've I've described it as either true usage or total usage in the past, and just keeping updated on that so you so we can see that yes, in fact, Luka Doncic has a historically high offensive burden uh, this year. And um, yeah, can, can you elaborate just a little bit on, on what total usage is? Because that's I found that to be the best measure that i've seen to really break down what a, a guy's offensive load is well there's two parts to it really uh and actually i actually originally created it in, a, in trying to find a better way to contextualize turnovers um turnover percentage as presented on any stat site is um playmaking for teammates can only hurt you in turnover percentage because if the pass is completed it's a nothing, and if it's a turnover, it, it's a it's a negative. Uh, right, because so it's only compared to shots. Yes, it's either yes. shots or turnovers. There's no assist component. Yes. So uh, with the tracking data, we get not just assists where the player happens to make a shot, but potential assists where um, uh, the the ball handler passes to a player who shoots in as defined in the tracking data uh, in under two seconds and under two dribbles, which is a definition that aligns pretty well with how assists are actually given. Um, there's it, it, There are some assists that are given that... that uh, don't meet that criteria and and some shot some makes that meet that criteria that that aren't given um <laughs> but it, it's it's a good enough it's a good enough estimate and so that allows us to do playmaking usage on the same scale as as scoring usage okay uh you know 25 percent of our, our team's chances i attempt to shoot the ball um the league leaders in uh in uh, playmaking usages that i call it will be in the in the in the low to mid 20s usually so on about one in five offensive chances they'll be um creating a a uh, or, or at least passing to a shooter uh, and then you combine those and you compare the two of those to turnovers and gets you a much better much truer sense of how much a player is turning the ball over relative to how much they're actually doing on offense so uh, a player who is a, you know, a, a, for example, Draymond Green uh, won't get penalized by having a massive turnover rate, a turnover percentage in traditional terms, because he never shoots. Uh, but since he does a lot of playmaking, it, 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 it balances that out a little bit. Yeah. And I, I always like to look too be, with, before I have access to the set, which now I will, so I won't have to do this shorthand of just hey it, you know trey young you had five turnovers tonight you have five turnovers every game oh but the hawks actually turned the ball over the least of any team why is that like you think trey young oh he had five turnovers he had a bad game he's throwing the ball over the gym but if he's the only person on the entire team that turns it over because he makes every play then your overall team turnover rate is low and so this that metric captures it so that's that's just a, a small example let's do a couple more we probably have too many to even 
get into here that you're going to do and you probably got like 10 or 15 things uh, that you're going to be providing us uh, at least so far that are not available publicly and that are really uh, increase our understanding but a couple other ones that we can highlight here. Uh, the one I've, I, that, that I think is, is going to be going up pretty regularly is uh, we hear a lot about clutch play and t- how teams do in clutch games. And um, that is important to, to teams' record, but it's also important to recognize that the definition of, of clutch uh, that, that, that we tend to use uh, within five minutes, uh, five minutes or less, there's a massive difference between being down five on the road with five minutes left and being up uh, five at home with five minutes left in terms of, I, 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 it's probably, you know, the difference between, uh, I don't have it in front of me, but like 15% and 85% win probability or something like that. So just knowing how teams are entering clutch play can give some context to, uh, you know, uh, how well they're they're perf- actually performing. If teams are just making late comebacks and, and, and losing games that they didn't really have that much chance of winning, that's useful to know versus a team like, I don't know, last year's Celtics that ru- that pretty routinely punted away games from, from uh, high win probability positions. Uh, and I say the Celtics because in the, uh, the tracking data era, uh, they appear to be among teams that were not blatantly tanking by some margin the uh, worst clutch team relative to their sort of overall level of play yeah that's uh, that's fascinating and and i'm looking forward to getting into some more stuff uh, on that in fact we'll we'll talk about that in a second door we've we're not just gonna make this a preview we're also gonna talk a little basketball today all right give me one more that we can look forward to here Uh, another thing that i like to look at is we hear a lot about three-point percentage well knowing more with the tracking data we can start to break threes down and actually know a little bit about uh you know what whether the threes a team is giving up is open are open uh whether they're, they're contested whether players that are taking the threes are are good or bad shooters, whether the, the threes they are getting are by good or bad shooters. Um, I have a number of different ways to look at that. For example, uh, I have a shooter, an average shooter quality metric, which basically looking at the uh, career percentages on uncontested threes that a player has taken gives you a decent um, idea of of how good a shooter he is. Um, a lot of players even that don't have awesome three-point percentages because they're taking a lot of contested ones. Well, Michael Porter Jr., I think might be the only player with significant attempts in the database. I have to look at and see what Seth Curry has done in his last couple of games, who's made over half of his uncontested threes. So obviously that that means leaving him open is very bad. Um, <laughs> and, and conversely, him getting shots means that those those looks are higher value for for the Nuggets than you know than you know just random three point attempt. Uh, and so looking at you know weighting those by attempts um, to see actually no the the Lakers can't shoot because the, their players who are taking their shots have have not been good shooters over the course of their career. Um, that, oh, that that one's fairly obvious, but um, I think there's a, a lot of ways to, to dig into that on both a you know season season segment and game by game basis, uh, especially in the playoffs. Um, I think one of, there's there's kind of a myth that teams quote leave the right guys open. Uh, that's not really a thing in the regular season. Um, I think it probably is a little bit more within a playoff series when you can 
you know, scheme for preferred actions and really dive, uh, dial in on which players you're not helping off of and which players you're helping off freely. No, all that's really exciting too. I, I talk a lot about jump shooters not all being made equal not all three-pointers are are made equal and you say oh this guy's a good shooter okay what do you mean by that do you mean that all right we get this guy wide open with his feet set he's gonna hit 40 percent do we mean that he's got a lot of versatility to his jumper you know what's he hitting on contested versus uncontested shots and now having a way to quantify that is really exciting for me as well uh so let's talk a little basketball here yeah you've been putting all this stuff together over the last couple of days what are some things that have just stood out to you about uh, our early season league here oh uh, the kings are good or at least they certainly appear to be i mean they're they're as like of- the beam <laughs> sorry I, I i say that in a chicago accent just because i don't know i i don't know what a sacramento accent is sacramento i think is pretty much accentless if anyone from sacramento wants to tell me differently I, li- living in the bay i've never experienced a sacramento accent there isn't really a bay accent either come to think of it but uh yeah so i'll just do the uh sacramento kings chicago bears <laughs> super fan when i say light the beam from now on and sure. until someone wants to disabuse me of it so they i mean they, obviously they are um as of this morning uh their win and the celtics loss last night they're the they're the number one offense in the league um i think they've actually been a little their, their defense is, is in the 20s somewhere I think they've been a little unlucky. Their their shot profile is actually pretty decent. They allow by some margin, uh, the last I looked, the fewest on our, on our, on our per 100 basis, the fewest uncontested threes in the league. Uh, mm. They've and they've been really unlucky into uh, unlucky, but they've the luck in terms of of shot making is is a uh, is always a fraught term because the the ball yeah. their their skill to the ball going in or not but still the, they, they've they, also played the warriors three times yeah. in their uh what is it 17 games yeah so they're so, they, 15 games three yeah. times in 15 games so 20 yeah. percent of their sample is made up of, of warriors that's that's a good reason to expect your uh opponents shooting to read yeah they're, and they're in the mid 40s in terms of opponents hitting uncontested threes now the, with league wow. average is around 38 percent. now that's i mean that's a that's you know we're, we're getting up close to you know a couple points a game there which is might not sound like much but that's you know that over the course of a season like two points is about five wins two points per game is about five wins so that that you know that normalizing um, probably brings their defense closer to, I would say, probably closer to average, maybe slightly below instead of, you know, bottom five-ish. Well, yeah, if they can continue to do what they're doing offensively and even be competent uh, on defense, the drought may end. Although, I, I mean, can I really say I'm, I'm rooting for that? I've, I've really been enjoying <laughs> the jokes. All good things must come to an end, though, I, I suppose. And this, and it's also actually being on the West Coast, the Kings are often one of the last games that I'm watching. So it's good to see them actually be competent. The crowd has been fantastic there as well. What else you got? Um, the Bulls are 0-7 in the clutch this year, um, which is funny because after, you know, DeMar DeRozan had one of the the, the really great clutch seasons last year. If you look at uh, uh, our, my friend Mike Bowie ha- of, of Unpredictable has a, a win probability added metric, which basically looks at, you know, okay, this shot goes in, you've added, you know, say you're, you're down two at the buzzer and you take a three, uh, that shot goes in is it adds like 70% win probability. Um, probably more than that, actually. But still, uh, um, looking at that over the last couple seasons, 
Um, DeRozan last year had had one of the most impactful of the last two decades, I want to say. I think Dame uh, two years ago and Westbrook during his MVP season were kind of the two comparable ones I found. But that's all of which is to say that those things tend to be fleeting, uh, although Dame has a long track record of, of doing it. <laughs> um, and so it's kind of flipped around this year, and they're 0-7 in the clutch, and they're probably even accounting for how they've gotten to the clutch, uh, they probably should have two or three more wins. Now, there's still, I, I think there's still some structural issues there, but I wonder how different people feel about them if they're, you know, if they're eight and nine or nine and eight rather than seven and 10. And just how those little things kind of uh, kind of make a difference. No, that that's really fascinating and by the way another nugget that i i noted this is not from you is the uh the phoenix suns had one of the great clutch seasons last year they're one in four in uh clutch game so far so yeah it really is yeah we'll get into it a lot because you're compiling this data i'm sure of just how sustainable clutch play is from year to year generally it seems like it hasn't been maybe there are some exceptions uh in either direction you know you could be a bad clutch team from year to year as well particularly if you have uh certain styles of plays and certain players who uh, are consistent from year to year that can be a little bit of a, a tease for what you're doing going forward another thing i've been really interested in in one of the numbers that you're creating for us is contested finishing percentage which i think is really interesting right all right if you get out on the fast break and you just get a wide open dunk you know that we're not interested in that really like that's it's important to know that you're doing that but that doesn't really get into like how good of a finisher are you that you can do a windmill on a fast break so that's a, another stat that you really uh, put out there that I, i'm excited to dive into and so that'll that'll be the field goal percentage on shots from 10 feet or less with the closest defender within four feet uh so that's room attempts maybe a little bit of floater range as well which will be pretty interesting so i'm excited to dive into that one i'm sure we'll use a, a lot of that in the 15 and 60 as well all right give me one more nugget here on uh what's going on in um, this i was just i was sticking out to you oh uh, one of the things that you've you've constantly you've, you've asked about is the rim protection and i was messing around with it and it yeah. it it, it uh for all the concern about the the kind of indifferent offensive start to the season uh, and kind of the overall team wobbliness of of the Timberwolves, um, one thing that 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 uh, Jane McDaniel's is doing is providing a lot of value as a sort of a, a, a wing like help, weak side helper. Um, hmm. uh, I was was go, going through those numbers today, and and he's actually uh, been been. You know, relative to certain to, to forwards, and he's obviously playing forward, not center, uh, <laughs> on the Timberwolves, given who they have in in the middle. Um, he's actually he's provided a, a lot of value there. So that's that one one of their theories of that starting lineup is bearing out, even if many of the others aren't so far. Yeah, that's uh, pretty interesting, and you know, I, I wonder what they're gonna do. Uh, with that team and how it's all fitting together but that's i mean i think he kind of developed that skill some because you know if you saw him as a prospect you weren't exactly impressed by you know, his amazing help defense but he kind of developed that last year when they're playing this scheme where carl anthony towns is way out on the floor in pick and roll defense and so he had to be a lot of times in a lot of their lineups a secondary room protector so knowing that he has that skill I mean, so and again since you've worked with the team these are really interesting stats to know because when you're building your lineup right to know our jane mcdaniels maybe he could do more as a room protector maybe we can put him in that role schematically the, the times that he's been there 
that's been something that we have been able to do. So that's that's another thing that's really exciting about what you're doing is you know you've been in the trenches trying to come up with stuff, make recommendations. You know, one of the things that we want you to do even is kind of just do brief updates on some teams, like pretend like you're their analytics guy sending a report to the GM on, hey, here's how we're doing, here's what's going to sustain, here's what's not going to sustain. So that that's something you're going to be doing on occasion as well. So we're uh, incredibly excited to have you, Seth. This has been fantastic. And, uh, oh, by the way, uh, Chris Paul is shooting uh, 28% at the rim on uh, contested finishes. It's not, it's not great. It's not great. <laughs> so I, but, yeah. but before leaving, it is it is a combination. That, that stat is, is a little bit limited by what data is public, but I think it does – it sort of captures both not finishing at the rim well and not getting to the rim in the first place, especially right, penetrating right. guards who end up shooting a lot of floaters. I think that's frankly a, a limitation of, of of some players if they're if they can't get to the rim anymore. I think that's a, a useful thing to look at. Yeah, uh, Killian Hayes, eighteen games, twenty two point nine percent. It's not good. Contested finishing <laughs> at the rim. Uh, yeah, some of these low ones are really interesting. Uh, some of the high ones are pretty interesting, too. We'll, uh, of course, get into these a lot more. All right, man, this is this is really fun. We're looking forward to doing stuff. Please jump in the Discord. Send some emails as well. Dunkdownprime at gmail.com. Stuff you would like to see from Seth. It, acknowledging that it, his time is limited because he does also have a full-time job as well. But we're really proud to have you on, my friend, and we're looking forward to doing some really interesting work i uh thanks for having me i'm excited to uh, get the band back together a little bit man it is crazy to think that i've been working with helix sleep since 2015 and i think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners if you've never heard it before that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom and there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one size fits all they found the one formula the one mattress that was going to work for everyone my then girlfriend now wife and i ordered that mattress we ended up having to return it because hey guess what not everyone is the same and then she did some more research and found helix sleep we took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types and uh, helix offers 20 unique matches every sleeps differently and helix matches are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences hot or cold side sleeper back sleeper so take that helix sleep quiz find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge it's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home you're like well how should i order this if i can't sleep I'm like yeah you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do i take my shoes off do i leave my shoes on but then my feet kind of hang off the bed because i don't want to put my shoes on the bed and is it weird that i'm laying here for more than 30 seconds you can't tell anything under those circumstances you might as well just order it get it sent to your house get that hundred night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easy room slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us 
Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the Bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing. But the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when i was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that i didn't feel like i needed my jacket even when it was cold outside these things are amazingly durable i proposed to my wife wearing an american giant hoodie in the grand canyon almost seven years ago i still own that same hoodie i still wear it constantly and american giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout Please remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us so you just heard earlier the news that seth partnow will be joining dunked on prime and if you haven't given it a try yet i hope that you will do that there's a link to that in the show notes if you're listening on the public pod but another nice benefit of Dunktown Prime is you get to ask us questions in a number of formats. We do live mailbags where you can actually get on the air with us via our Discord, but we also do written mailbags, and that's what we're going to go through here. Got a bunch of great questions over the last few days that in our Discord on the mailbag channel under the AMA category, if you ever want to submit a question, you haven't done that yet, and of course, there's a link to join the Discord in your daily Dunked on Prime Miller, where you'll be getting all of Seth's stuff as well. What are you going to start with here? I mean, we got a lot of good questions. We appreciate that. Good to use the to use the Discord for everything else. Um, we could start with this one because I think it's it's a useful kind of a useful thing to to approach it this way. And so we got asked by. Oh, I wish I, I apologize. I can't I can't find the question right now. But the question basically regards to is this is it time to reevaluate Lowry Markkinen? And I I think that. Something that you and I both consider extremely important for our jobs is the acknowledgement that not only are players' games changing all the time, but our analysis has to change of, change of it as well. And Markkinen, to his immense credit, has become a significantly better player than he was. Do I think that I'm not at the? Do I think that everything is perfect and that the player he's been so far for the Jazz, which I mean, remember that he's having the best EPM season of his career by far at this juncture and is, you know, as has, you know, depending on how you want to classify things has been maybe a top 20, top 30 player in the league. Ah, I'm not going to go that far, but the idea that we were low on Lowry marketing before, then that means we'll be low on Lowry marketing forever. Like that's, it's, it's not a, it's not a healthy thing for us to do or people who think that we hate or love a player unnecessarily to do either. Yeah, it's always difficult when a player begins to exceed expectations of everyone, including us. And I, I actually liked Markin a lot in the draft. I kind of felt like maybe he could be this guy way back in the draft, and then it just wasn't happening and wasn't happening and wasn't happening. And so that caused us to be lower uh, on where he was. 
We definitely, I mean, like Scotty Barnes is a perfect example of this too, where was lower on him in the draft. He was definitely way better than our expectations. How much though do you drag down your future projection for a guy by your own opinion, which may be totally out of date? Is there maybe some validity still to that opinion where it makes sense to be lower on him than everyone else, but still higher than you once were? Or you just say, no, I was totally wrong about him, right? Like Giannis to me was a guy that i just was completely wrong and i wasn't as into the draft back then as i have been since we started doing this show full time but Giannis, the first time i saw him go up for a tip dunk in preseason that year i was like oh this guy just got way more athletic i totally missed on him like this guy's me really so unlike scotty barnes i still he's gotten better in a lot of ways but i also still have some of the initial concerns that i had about him that haven't entirely gone away and a lot of my i guess maybe here's another way to look at it too as i talk through this is your reason for being down on a player he is not going to be good at x or is it what this guy is isn't as valuable as everyone else thinks it is you know that's that i think is a that second part i think you maintain your priors maybe a little bit more that first part if he's clearly a show all right this guy can't shoot comes in works with fred vincent and now he's a really good shooter like brandon ingram for example right like the default was he couldn't shoot he goes to the pelicans he learns how to shoot like all right i guess you got to just forget the idea that he can't shoot anymore right right whereas for someone like barnes and then you know we, we'll apply this maybe to market and now how much is it hey he's got new skills the prior evaluation of what he could do is wrong versus all right how valuable is what he's able to do how do you think that measures up here with marketing i'm still not quite there i mean he's shown much better defensive execution but like right now i brought up ppm before marketing is 86th percentile on defense and before this year had never been better than 65th and that was a couple years ago in the bulls and i think Will Hardy and the Jazz have done a really nice job working things, and and Markinen deserves immense credit for becoming a better defensive player. But do I, I still don't yet, and maybe it's a limitation as we we're talking about of imagination. The general defensive archetypes, like I don't, I don't really see Markinen as a as a perfect fit in any of them right now. And generally speaking, for me, that carries some weight. It's like okay, he can be a positive defensive player, but if we're talking about somebody who's, you know, like a real positive on that end, usually they have to do one or two specific things really really well. Let's talk about the defense first and I think that he's shown enough that he cannot be a huge liability. Like this experience that he's got Agreed. guarding on the perimeter, like I think he can switch a little bit if you need him to. You're not stuck playing a conventional pick and roll defense with your four man if you've got him at the four. He's even has played some three at times and you still want to have some good athleticism and mobility in the front court next to him but he's shown some more ability to do big man stuff as well you do you want him as your five no like he's not going to give you a lot of rim protection but he if it's like hey now we've got our Evan Mobley like last year switching out on the perimeter now marking in is our four instead of our three or you have another pretty good rim protecting center with them that's pretty good the questioner asked I did find it actually and uh, there's a hilarious aspect of this that I will save until the end but he asked how much does he change his game has improved his skills what is it that Utah is doing to get him in the right spots to succeed I think it is about equal of the two. I think Utah, they're playing a lot of five out like that marked in a Linux combination when you're not really trying to build a team that's going to defend at a championship level. And we're just, we got this island of misfit toys here and we're just going to play our best guys and 
find a way to exist. And like Olenek is a great guy for marketing to play with because now he's attacking the room so much more. He's finishing, you know, high seventies at the rim, dunking all over guys. And there's just a lot of space for him to work with, or he'll play with Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt even will uh, spacing out at the corner. So he's got more license to attack from the perimeter, get downhill, which is what's really been exciting. It's the ISO stuff is like a little better, but it's not so much that I think it's just, they're finding ways to get him the ball on the move let him work inside more he's not running into guys that, i mean he's only played on teams that had shitty spacing before this right and you know the, I, we talked about it on last night's show where they're setting these screens for him coming out of the corner uh, and just with smaller players and then you know he can post up against a mismatch and get on the offensive glass tip in his own misses and just his overall movement and activity and then you know the shooting i think is not he's not like just lighting the world on fire as a shooter you know i think he's versatile can get it off he's got the high release but he's probably more of a 35 percent than a 40 percent guy from three as of now so I, I think he's gotten a lot better he's found some confidence but also the way that they've used him so i, I would say it's really a combination of the two and uh danny we we got to thank mark edwards for that question no wonder are you, you sure are you sure, are you sure it's not mark williams <laughs> I don't even know if the questioner exists, honestly. <laughs> oh, yeah, just you, an, an ancient tight end or something. Um, yeah, you you trying to find uh, you trying to find it uh, and not finding it, and it was Mark Edwards was really funny to me. Um, anything else on that one? No, we can move on to this one from Four and T. Uh, they've heard on a few podcasts how front office has, front offices have methods to assign value to all the draft picks as they have, as well as the ones that other teams have when negotiating trades. Like what variables go into that and. I mean, obviously, an important one when it exists is protection, because what ha- what what can this convey? What are the you know, like what's the timing on that? But I think the bigger one that you think about is a team's a team's quality. And if we're going deeper into the future, are they well run? What avenues do they have to improve or decline? And it makes sense for front offices to have a general understanding of this. It's not going to be definitive because nobody can see into the future. But like you and I have talked about this a lot in those really pick centric deals that have happened in in times that a lot of times what you're doing is betting against the long term, maybe even outside the window that that player is on that team. Like, for example, James Harden in the Nets betting on betting against that team's future. And so it's something that you have to do. You have to analyze and think about, well, where what's the floor? What's the ceiling? What's the play here? thing I would add to that, and surely there are analytics models that say, all right, where, where do we think the, and it's obviously much more salient over the course of like a year. Where, okay, how much is this draft pick worth for the Lakers this year, for the Pelicans? It's unprotected. What do we think this Lakers team is going to do? Because you know who's on the team, at least when you start. That becomes much more difficult as you go way into the future. But the thing that I would add there about draft picks that I think isn't discussed enough is it's not necessarily... Oh, yeah, the 18th pick in the draft. Ah, you know, that becomes a rotation player sometimes. Sometimes it doesn't. There's still that chance of getting like a real impact player, even at that position. And of course, that gets higher more as you get into the top 10. So to me, draft picks and having all these draft picks, that is more about 
even that 3% chance of getting a star at number 18 or whatever it ends up being than it is, all right, you know, we got another rotation player. That's good. You know, but are we really trying to go win at the highest levels? Like, you know, I think draft picks for teams that are already good, like getting that role player type of guy is more important in that spot. Whereas for teams that are just bad, you know, Oklahoma city, as you look at those picks in the future, you look at them as either, Hey, these are going to really help us when we're already good to give us some cheap contributors and keep the pipeline going. Or you look at it as what is the chance of getting that foundational star? Because when you're bad already, it, let's say like Sadiq Bay is a perfect example here. I, I would say Danny, right? Sadiq Bay, pretty good player. Nice find at number 19. He's already in his third year. You're not good. How much does Sadiq Bay help you if he's going to get paid DeAndre Hunter type of money, you know, 20 million a year going forward as you're the Detroit Pistons that are not ready to win yet? Yeah. And it's the evaluation of where do you, I mean, so you have some positional scarcity working in favor of Bay because there, there aren't as many forwards as there are other things. But as you brought up the practical consideration, he's close to getting paid. And then like another analog here is that Fred Katz had some reporting that the Knicks are looking for a first round pick for Emmanuel quickly. And I'm still intrigued by Emmanuel quickly. I'm not sure whether there's like a high end starter in there. I mean, the three point shooting has been horrendous this year, but like, I mean, we'll have to keep And he's played on some teams with jacked up spacing, like the overall circumstances have been a challenge for him. But you think about it, like giving up a first round pick for quickly when he's a few months from being extension eligible, a few months, like half, a, you know, more than half a season, and then is a year plus, you know, basically a year, a year and three quarters away from being on a new contract and you don't know exactly what it's going to be like. I if you don't see like a, a, a starter of the future there, like I, I don't think that you go that aggressively. Yeah, I think it's it's a reasonable point, and we've seen guys get traded at times at that point in their career where they're going to get traded, they're going to be extension eligible, and how much is a guy who's going to be a low-end starter, high-end rotation guy who's about to hit restricted free agency and need to get a contract paid commensurate with that player? Like, D'Anthony Melton is another interesting one. Like, what, what was he worth at 23rd pick in the draft? Like, all right, that seems about right for someone like him who's, you know, maybe a six seventh eighth man making eight million a year so yeah it, it is tough to really figure out what's that's that's worth and and there's especially if you're not a team that's really ready to contend it's like all right how much does having a, a good seventh man really help us here you know making about what he's supposed to be making when it's really more about still trying to find that star well and, and the other reason why teams should try to shop players in a manual quickly situation is because it's early enough that and somebody else might still be interested and might still have that value and they get a long time you know it's if a team thinks Emmanuel quickly could be good for them they get a year and three quarters to evaluate him and there could be a complication for the next 24 25 might be around the time that they're that they are trying to add somebody significant like potentially even with cap space because of the that's when Fournier's deal expires that's when Toppin and quickly would come up for restricted free agency so maybe it's like well shit we really don't we really want to kind of have our ducks in a row by then we're not sure that he's our guy they also already have Jalen Brunson and I don't think you should I think you should kind of separate evaluations at least to some extent 
but yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of the idea. And, and you know, I've you said this for a long time. It's like, whatever the standard that you're applying, once you are confident that a player is not right for you, you should probably move on because the odds are higher that somebody else is going to feel more positively on them. And if nobody does, then you, of course, reevaluate it. And that is not to apply to somebody like Josh Giddy, where I'm lower on him, just because there's so much more variance, I believe, with Josh Giddy than somebody like Emmanuel Quickly. All right, uh, let's. Uh, we have so many of these questions. I'm sure we'll probably sprinkle them in uh, over the next couple of weeks. So we're not going to get to all of them. I like this one from Miles Moose, though. Just came in actually six minutes before the deadline. What is the actual path to having fewer games? We all agree that this would help, but how does that actually happen? He says, list a number of impediments here. And I think where it's it starts with two major things. The first is convincing the owners and the players that if they have fewer games, they will make more money off of the games that exist. Now, the, we've said this ad nauseum, the national TV deal shouldn't be impacted. You'll have enough games to fill out a national TV schedule, even if you only go to, as I've been wanting them to do, 58 games. Can you say, is is there proof? Is, have studies been done? How do you even prove this? Tough to say, but I believe there's a decent chance that if you only have two games a week, you can charge more for them. The ratings will go up. It becomes an event. There isn't just like, okay, are we playing? There's 82 of these things. Like, do I really want to go tonight? Uh, we, we're playing on certain days. And then, you know, we'll have like national windows on, you know, kind of like a Monday night football. Go ahead, Dane. And for in-person attendance, each game yeah. you can sell with, this is your only chance for the road team. You can say with your, this is your only chance to see X in person this yeah. year. So, And also, I think you could hopefully charge more at the idea of, hey, there's only two games a week. You can't do this rest stuff anymore. You will see fewer injuries. The games, I mean, they're just, we were talking about doing this for last night's show and we just ran out of time, but we're saying, all right, we're going to go through and say, how many teams are even watchable right now, you know, because of, of the injuries that have already taken place and we're a month into the season. So, and not only just, I mean, every time you play a game, there's a chance you're going to hurt. So there's a less chance you're just going to get hurt in the course of a game, right? You're just playing fewer minutes, fewer games. Then there's also more recovery time in between games. So let's say you do get hurt. Now you can come back and play. And, you know, there isn't this kind of accumulation of soreness. That's another thing, too, where you don't have to worry about that as much. Like in the NFL, guys can make it through the season managing injuries that you can never make it through in the NBA. You got to just if you don't play for a week, you've now missed three games, right? Under my circumstance, you don't play for a week. You just missed one game and now you're back and you're able to play and you can continue to manage that. Whereas you just, you can't do that under the current system. Like you're just going to miss games. There won't be any back-to-backs obviously as well. So can people be convinced that there's a substantial probability that you can make more money by making this product more valuable by having fewer games? That's number one. Number two is, and this is part and parcel with that is, what do you do about local TV? And for some teams, that's a big revenue driver. For others, it's not. uh, You know, they're... Teams that certainly you know, are making probably, I don't know, 15 million, 10 million a year off their local TV deal. Uh, the Lakers are probably making like 200 million. I have to check what it is, but I think it's at least that. And that was actually the reason why the NBA didn't have a NFL-like national TV deal to begin with, because owners like Jack Kent Cook for the Lakers back in the 70s said, no, well, I'm not giving up my local TV deal to do a national one. Like, we're making a ton of money here. So how do you work that? Like, I think there are some teams or you know, the Pelicans local TV deal or something is where it's like, 
hey, is this really enough money to where this should be stopping us from doing what we want to do? Would those local TV partners be able to be mollified as well with, hey, we're going to, there are fewer games, but you're now going to have a more valuable property, or maybe you just phase out local TV entirely, or you just get more rights from local TV to where you can do more national games. There's, but the NBA is kind of held hostage by the dying regional sports network model adam silver acknowledged that recently uh in some comments to john uranda at a symposium so those are the two things that i think would need to happen i don't know how realistic you think those are the money part of it i think is far more realistic and it could even be at the point for from the player's perspective of you're you're not going to lose much of any salary and you're playing far fewer games because from a player's perspective it's like well i mean obviously you maximizing money is nice but if you can do it and play a lot less you can do that and then from the owners slash governor's perspective it might be a harder sell just and it's also the you know risk aversion the 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 goose is pretty golden right now do you really want to to shift it and then and it's that risk aversion that frustrates me the most because i'm i'm a firm believer that it would lead to a bunch of other benefits the guys star players could play more and you could manage injuries much better and everything else and the other way that it could start and this is like i see this as kind of the the history of the cba is unintended consequences is i mean personally i don't think that there's much magic to single season numbers in the nba you know like i was you know most three-pointers in a season all that kind of stuff is that that's probably were, the only one I can think of was Steph Curry getting to 400 three pointers in a season is the only time I can think of. And then the Warriors getting the 73 wins, but nobody's ever going to try to set the all time wins record anyway now. So, right. Uh, and so, yeah. so basically, so, so there isn't that magic like there is in baseball with some of those things. Of course, that's because baseball is obsessed with numbers, but you have that kind of that that element. What if Silver gets his way and they reduce the number of games to f- to do an in season tournament, which I broadly speaking don't support unless they execute it really well. But if that takes away some of the stigma and then it goes that and maybe even that provides the preliminary thing of, well, we don't have to alter these deals. And the other one you brought up, like tethering yourselves to these RSNs and it could we could just reach a point where that's completely untenable. And maybe there are a series of teams that don't really have a TV contract. And we've already seen franchises and their television partners, depending on how we want to classify things that way cut costs by like not having their broadcast the broadcast travel with the team and all that type of stuff and so it's, it could reach the point where it's just like this stuff is it, it'd be better if it was handled by a single entity let's put it that way yeah and the thing is everyone's making so much money right now i just don't think there's going to be an impetus to change like they're still going to make a lot of money the in-season tournament is kind of the furthest it's going to go and maybe we'll just have this regular season game just get devalued even more at this point and all right you know that's fine i i'm so in favor of this in-season tournament because it'll give me something to really get fired up about in the middle of the season and you'll presumably have teams playing hard which you just don't and there's hard for like i think teams play as hard as they possibly can within the bounds of the fact that hey we got another game tomorrow night anyone who's seen our youtube videos knows that i don't wear formal stuff all the time so when it's time to dress up rather than dress down i highly recommend inochino they were the official outfitter of my wedding i got my tux from there all my groomsmen got their sport jackets 
from there as well i felt really good about having them be the outfit of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly because when you go somewhere else you're not going to get something that's made for you so why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you and not only does indochino have the suits that made them famous but now they've got everything blazers pants women's wear outerwear designed and made for you hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from european wools linen cottons tons of colors tons of patterns you can customize things like the lapel the vents the pockets and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style level up your game with indochino go to indochino.com use the code capspace using our capspace we talk about all the time here on the program you get 10 percent off any purchase of 399 dollars or more that's 10 percent off at indochino i-n-d-o-c-h-i-n-o indochino.com and don't forget that capspace code to let them know that you came from us Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Uh, this is an easy one here from, from Nick Ann. Where did you guys learn so much about sports medicine? He says he's a doctor and he's impressed with our knowledge. That's great. Uh, I'm glad to hear that. Number one comes from being injured a lot. <laughs> That's And it, I basically suffered just about every lower body injury except the Achilles, knock on wood. Uh, and so that really is just my own personal experience and just what it's like to try to play, even at my low level when you have all these injuries, is one. But also it's just following... People like Jeff Stotts, Brian Suter, and retaining that information. That's really the number one thing. And then just remembering what happened to people who had these injuries. So it's just, it's mostly just really paying attention. And because I think it's, maybe there are people in our field who don't do this as much, but it's one of the most important things in basketball to know, all right, this guy just got hurt. When is he going to be able to come back? What's he going to look like when he comes back? Because the most fun thing that I think we do is to try to project performance. And so that's probably between injuries and shooting improvement. Those are probably the two most important things for projecting a player, at least that we know about in the public sphere. We can do this one pretty quickly from no say. Uh, What is the status of the stepping rule now? Can teams swap first rounders for second rounders? The rule is exactly the same as it always has been, which is that teams cannot be without a first round pick in consecutive years only looking forward and so like what the bucks did is they were st- they still were within the frame of uh, of the stepian rule and they did that teams have gotten a little bit more creative but the rule itself has not changed at all yep and uh we're gonna become very familiar with it with all the draft picks that have been traded over the years and and we've already seen it with teams like the clippers and brooklyn when can you trade one when can you the lakers it comes to mind as well so well, and, yeah, and there could be some ones. there could be some really thorny ones because i know one of the ideas that every once in a while floats around is a team that's without a bunch of first round picks acquiring one and then trying to see how that impacts it but acquiring one because of the rule of being without one and the possibility being without any first round pick in consecutive years often makes it easiest to actually just trade the pick you acquired rather than do like oh well we got this one and then we can reshuffle and trade this one it's like that it, it is possible in certain circumstances but generally speaking the one you acquire in that circumstance has to be unprotected and that is difficult and actually that that ties that ties in with the one i wanted another one i wanted to do quickly from veal piccata 
if the league did away with draft pick protections, what do you think would be the impact, positive or negative? I love the way Amin Al-Hassan has described this before, which is that pick protection is lubrication because basically it allows it allows teams to feel more comfortable about making a trade happen. So what it would lead to is fewer transactions. It would lead to teams being very afraid of trading picks because the downside risk could be massive. I mean, even within a given year, like there are going to be franchises that have significantly worse seasons than we expected. And so what you would see is you would see a, a lot fewer draft picks in trades. And for those of us who care about transactions, it would lead to a less lush environment for transactions. The reason to do away with pick protection would be so teams aren't desperately trying to keep their pick at the end of the season. I think that upping the lottery odds and making it four spots now instead of three has helped some with that. But the most egregious instances of in-season tanking in the past have revolved around that. You covered a team that did that to keep Mm -hmm. Harrison Barnes. They had a pick from a trade for Derek Fisher, the Warriors, in 2012. They were able to hold on to that pick and it was a great move because then they ended up giving up what i think like the 23rd pick or something the next year when they made the playoffs so the reason to limit it is that the other reason might be to just say well we can't have this situation where the wizards or the blazers like can't trade a pick for years and years because they traded one pick whatever I, i don't really care about that and the tanking thing it's the one thing I thought of to maybe try to fix that is, all right, you can do it, but it's only you, it's either lottery protected or totally unprotected, uh, which I, I don't I think everything's working fine. Honestly, I, I think you, you make the point that it just would be so much harder to do transactions, just the downside of giving up more unprotected picks. But then <laughs> we used to think that and now teams have given up so many unprotected picks going forward. Anyway, we'll see what happens to those teams. You know, the bill hasn't come due on a lot of these teams yet. But we're starting to see it. Lakers gave up number eight last year. Clippers surprisingly gave up a number 12. That became Jalen Williams. He's going to be a pretty good player, I think. So, and you've got the Wolves out there. You've got the Cavs out there. The Hawks. Who am I missing? The Nets, obviously, with the Harden trade. The Wolves. Yeah, I think I said Wolves. Oh, but, sorry. Uh, but yeah, so that's uh, <laughs> maybe there'll be more need for these picks to be protected more in the future. But I, I don't really see a big downside to eliminating. Do, do you? Or, or I'm sorry, do, to a big downside to pick protection existing right now. I don't. I don't either. And one thing that could potentially happen is maybe a, a, a larger unification or limitation on what kind of protection. Like you can't do top four or top seven or something like that. Like you know, like because the that creates those incentives or maybe it's like lottery protection, but I don't even think there's a reason to, to go in that direction. So I, I would not necessarily, I wouldn't support it at all personally, at least knowing what I know at this moment. Superstar asks, how's the dunk on prime model doing now that it's been a year. And I think it's been amazing. It's actually been over two years now because we started it in August of 2020. And obviously adding Seth has been awesome. Adding Dan has been great. Bring John over like, you know, we wouldn't have been able to do any of that stuff were it not for the subscription model and we're also making more money which is great and it most importantly it's stable in a way that we're not reliant on the vagaries of the advertising market anymore where you know something like the pandemic happened and we had like a what could have been a fatal loss of revenue and so we we kind of had to go to this model but it's worked out amazingly well it's it's more stable we're making more and most importantly we're able to produce even more stuff that we're proud of bring in other people who 
are helping us create great content. It's been really fun to have stuff like the Discord as well, which I wish I had time to be more involved in, but I hope all of you really are enjoying that as well. And so, I mean, I think it's just been an amazing decision. And I always laugh at these people who are like, oh, good luck, pal. Like, this is, it's so expensive. You're never going to have anyone sign up. I'm like, how about you just let me run my business? Okay. If you don't want to pay for it, that's fine. There's, there's still a couple of free pods. And, well, and, uh, and, and also, as is the case in basically any other field, the people who think they know how things work are not typically the, and say so, say so publicly are typically not the people that you should rely on their insight. So there's also that as well. Like the, yeah, I, the, I mean, the, yeah. the armed, the armchair business runners. Yeah. And that, like, there are people like, well, it costs as much as like Netflix does right and you know we that was somewhat of a guide for us in doing our pricing but also you just have to think about it in terms of the amount of time you're actually spending with it like yes there are not that many people who are willing to spend tens of hours per month with a podcast and reading all of our content and all that but we do think we're doing something in the basketball audio space that no one else is doing and for people who really want that hopefully it's something that you're willing to support and pay for and that's definitely been the case and we're really thankful that everyone has done that but you know it's really like netflix yeah they've got whatever tens of thousands of titles but you're not watching all ten thousand of those it's really more about the amount of time that you're spending with the platform on a monthly basis that it is more about it and when you have something that's niche then you uh have to price it in that way so it's been a a acknowledging that maybe not that many people are going to sign up but the people who do sign up hopefully they think it's really valuable um so and again i mean the other thing too is obviously we never have lost anyone over price because we're if you're in a difficult financial situation then we're willing to work with you on that too so i, I think it's well, uh yeah good well and the, the, th- the other thing i want to add in is somebody who has been involved in monetization of content in a lot of different facets including of course being early on at the athletic is there has been some awkwardness and sticker shock for people where in sports in particular things that were once free became not free and the part of it that is important to remember is creating stability and financial consistency for the people who are who are doing who are doing the content generation who are doing that and and yes it is harder because you know it's sort of like how cable and all that kind of broke up a little bit cable tv and then you had all these different things and in some circumstances all the streaming services cost more but the part of it is you're trying to you know make a it's the individual decisions involved and there's a part of me that does miss dunked on being public i mean there i if in an ideal world yeah i would love it for if everybody could listen every single episode and like we had stuff that got into the basketball zeitgeist a little bit more often than but the sacrifice is, is of that is more than worth it, of course, and that's in one of the many way, reasons that we're doing it. Uh, I want to get to this question from Sam Silverstein, which will actually function in some ways as like a little news thing. I don't know how much time we'll spend on it, but basically the question is about Nick Nurse's comments on Gary Trent today, and I just found this absolutely fascinating for a bunch of different reasons. So, so, so basically, Josh Woonberg had the original kind of distillation of it because he did a, and he did a nice block quote on it from Nurse, and it started with Nick Nurse being asked about Gary Trent Jr.'s deflections, which are down from 3.4 a game last year to 2.4. And I'll say the full quote because I think it's we almost never see this. It's disappointing. We'd like to get him a lot more aggressive on defense this year. I would say that's been a, well, 
I don't know what what the word is. It's been a little bit of a negative. He's capable of really getting after the ball and getting his hands on the ball a lot, and that's what we want him to do. We're going to get him his shots and get him his points, but we want him to be a disruptor. Kind of fits us if he does that, and if he doesn't, he doesn't fit us. We need to get him back, and I think some of that is that he just hasn't felt all the great physically for a lot of the games this year. So hopefully he's getting there where he's going to feel good here starting tomorrow. And you almost never see coaches that publicly candid, that publicly critical of a player. And I know there's been a lot of speculation about motivation and how oh, it's, they're, they're trading him imminently or something else. I, I think it could kind of be trying to check a bunch of boxes at once, which is basically the ship up or ship out thing, which is like they're, they're seeing something and said he's not applying himself as much on defense. And if Gary Trent Jr. doesn't do that, then they're not going to want Gary Trent Jr. anymore. And so you don't usually see it because it can create tension between players and teams and coaches and all that. But I'm definitely interested. I hadn't seen this until you read it. Was there anything in there that was like, oh, well, he, we're going to get rid of him if he doesn't do this or something? Like, I, I didn't hear anything well, like that. Like, it's, it seemed like a reasonable Well, there's the, he ki- yeah. there's the he kind of fits us if he does that. And if he doesn't, then he doesn't fit us. I'm guessing that's that's where that's coming uh, from. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's that's relatively inflammatory. And also remember, Nick Nurse doesn't make those decisions, though he presumably would his his impact would or his yeah. his well, he makes the decision through. of uh, he makes the decisions of who's going to play. Sure, but they also desperately need someone who can make a shot on this team too. So that's they they kind of need him. But yeah, Trent's. It, I've been impressed with this defense at times. I've been disappointed in it at times. It's probably been even at the good times, maybe flashier than it is effective. And he doesn't do a ton as a help defender. And I thought his on-ball defense against James Harden in the playoffs was pretty poor last year. And I think he takes some pretty selfish shots. Like they need someone to create those to some degree, but a lot of off the bounce long twos that I don't think he's really elite at. I do think he's a, a very good three-point shooter. I wish he could focus a little bit more on that three and D role, but that's, I think not what he believes is going to get him paid. And it is maybe a commentary as well on this weird contract structure, this two plus one that he ended up signing for what seemed like given how established he was maybe more than he deserved. But those, I think his contract among those kind of 18 to $20 million a year shooting guard contracts that were signed two years ago has actually been better than some of these for sure. Like your four knees or your hardaways or something like that. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. We'll see what his responses to it you know he knows his player and it's up to him to get the best performance out of him is this going to work it's definitely a rare type of commentary i think the last time he went to this though i don't keep up with everything out of of anybody that or out of any market that a coach says about a player but i remember him saying this about stanley johnson and ronde hollis jefferson in the I think that was in the uh, 2019 early going uh, before the 1920 season. And those guys didn't really contribute for them either. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. It's definitely, it's, it's not something that you say when you're happy with how the guys played, but he also at least offered him out of like not being that good physically. I think if he doesn't say the thing about the, well, if he does this, he fits us. If he doesn't, he doesn't fit us. Like that's leaving that out. I think it's all pretty normal and fine. That is uh, more of a shot across the bow than you would normally see. I agree with that. Uh, this is a good one here from our dog. The NBA moving to more big trades rather than free agency to get star players. Do you see any adverse effects? He notes that we could be in a situation where you have four or five teams stuck in that Nets situation where the star players are not contributing at star levels and they have no draft picks to build the team back up. So you can't even really tank. Says you can easily see it happening to Clippers, Nets, Lakers. 
And even some ways we could move back to free agency being a viable way to get star players. I think the trade thing is more egalitarian. The Cleveland Cavaliers would not really be in a free agent market for anyone other than LeBron James, who happened to grow up there. They got Donovan Mitchell. The Wolves, they got Rudy Gobert. That's a player they probably felt like getting a player of that quality. There's no other way we could have got him. We wouldn't have been in the mix in free agency. So I do think it it is more egalitarian but i think you uh our dog makes a great point that it's riskier danny it's riskier for the teams but it's a lot less risky for players which is why it's happening because players are signing those contracts getting that money and then eventually maybe working their way out unwinding it and from their perspective if you think you can do it and you care more about locking in the salary than you do necessarily like being in the perfect situation all the time then that's what you should do and really i think it's the players that are driving this rather than the teams and from a team perspective it's definitely better and worse for specific teams in part due to market power so the uh, this was my whole thing for like the for that it was just such a shame that during that stretch where the you know due to the salary cap rules basically were the such a shame for those organizations and the fans of those organizations not for the league overall that during that window where market power mattered the most when basically the CBA killed the extension system and everybody was hitting for agency that the Knicks, the Clippers, the Nets, to the extent that they count, and the Lakers were all poorly run. And so basically there was that window. And I mean, a great example of this is Donovan Mitchell. And so you brought up the Cavs part of it, which I think is great. But there's also the Knicks part of this, where they would have, you know, they and they've tried to woo free agents and it hasn't quite worked. And, you know, like part of the reason that the Mitchell to the Knicks trade didn't work was Danny Age didn't value their players as much. But another part of it was like the Knicks weren't including everybody in the first place based on the reporting that's out there now. And so you you get these more private, these more nuanced, these more complicated negotiations. But I agree with you that from a team perspective, it's more egalitarian. Yeah, I talked about this some with Keith a couple of weeks ago of whether liberalizing extensions was better for the league or not. And I do think that, A, there's a lot of enjoyment from just the free agency process overall. And we really enjoy it. It gets a, a lot of play over the summer. But then also trades get plenty of play as well in the media. And so it's not really, I don't know that one is necessarily better than the other for fan interest because the trade stuff is, is very interesting as well. I think though that the problem with fewer players moving teams and free agency is in free agency, you are as close as you can be. It is a brand new contract at that time to matching up like both sides have as much information as they can possibly have at the time of signing the contract when it kicks in whereas on extensions so much can change between when the extension is signed and when it kicks in and so i i do generally like being in a situation where more performance and pay line up with each other but there have also been some absolute awful whoppers of contracts given out in free agency if there's too much free agent money to go around then you get a 2016 situation with everyone getting overpaid there also so i don't think that necessarily one is better than the other i kind of like i think we're maybe a little bit skewed too far towards the extensions right now i do like the idea of cap space and teams being able to improve that way but and i I do think we're going to possibly get in a situation where some of these trades are going to work out very very badly for teams and as much as everyone complains about tanking the alternative would be teams with no hope because 
they have no way to get better even when they're really bad and that's something that could be the case for these teams that have given up all of the picks and all of the swaps I want to do one more here well I think we all also because it got some I can't remember what technically the the discord version of upvotes is and I always think that's kind of a, a, a thing and uh, with this one from Joel B it's a little bit more complicated and like nuanced and it might not even be the best for us to answer but basically his idea was that do you think given how rampant anti-empathy and homophobia seems to be in the NBA the personal feel invalidates the league's progressive ideologies do you think will actually get dealt with or swept under the rug and going back to my previous experience and other things I think it's very useful to remember that a a an entity branding themselves as quote unquote, let's call it progressive does not necessarily make that label accurate or applicable in all circumstances. And also like that thinking of it that way is not necessarily helpful. So I I would say a vast majority of NBA players and like to an extent, the league itself in terms of what they give money to, they've been very supportive of like women's basketball and women's issues. They've been, um, you know, they've done some good work uh, with the trans community as, as I understand things as well. But the idea that the NBA as an organization and all of its members are have ever been or will always be socially progressive is a, is a misunderstanding. And it is deeply disheartening to see the some like Kyrie Irving and not only that, but some of the the NBA players that have kind of stood up for him, sometimes doing so with like incomplete information and everything else. But this concept that the NBA is a unilateral progressive organization. I I think that took that took a significant hit with like the Hong Kong stuff and everything else. And I I I didn't think that framing still existed anymore. And I definitely don't agree with it now, as I never did. Yeah, well, certainly they were very much uh, pushing that during the bubble uh, with the, everything that went on in 2020. And certainly there are going to be some causes that the league's members are going to be bigger believers in others like say hong kong they don't really care that's not a part of the experience for a lot of people like lebron james is not reading like bill bishop's cynicism the way i am and or six tone or anything like that's just not something that he's interested in and is not within the experience of a lot of the players in the nba and also their job is to play basketball their job is not to be up on every single social issue and i also think it's unfair to say that well just because you have spoken out about this issue that you think is important to you that now you're going to get asked about every other issue and you're expected to have a good opinion on those issues as well um you know i was very disappointed in the way lebron responded to hong kong i thought the league actually after some initial missteps did about as well as they could uh, particularly far better than any other american business up to that time had done and it actually seemed like based on the reporting on that that the u.s government was actually involved in some of that to not have them capitulate but they got to the right place eventually the league's membership is a crazy melting pot this is you don't see a workplace like this anywhere else you don't see all these people coming together having this type of profile all working together in a multi-billion dollar entity basically anywhere else on earth other than in sports leagues and so yeah this is not a monolith at all and a lot of people come from situations where you don't have the experience uh, with other groups i think that Kyrie, yes i was very upset by his comments uh, as a jewish man but i also think that he as far as we can tell has tried to educate himself eventually you know the the franchise had to get involved i think they did about as much as you can do 
when it's someone's private thoughts and political opinions to try to educate them. And when you get something that's truly out of line, you know, like Anthony Edwards comments as well, where you're actually saying stuff publicly that is offensive, then it's dealt with. But to expect that all players are going to toe like the exact progressive line that the league would hope to have as its values, no, that's not realistic. It doesn't necessarily reduce my enjoyment of basketball like ultimately this is entertainment and it's my job and you know if someone says something that i find personally offensive then i it's bothersome like i said about Kyrie, but that situation was dealt with so i i particularly with respect to the homophobia too and and i think even with respect to Kyrie, a lot of guys are just brought up in a way where these sorts of comments are regularly made and i think i would interpret anthony edwards comments for example as not you know tim hardaway i hate gay people it's more just wow, that's kind of weird and gross to me, you know, which that's not a great thing to be saying about another group, but it's also just something that he doesn't have experience with. And it's more just like, hey, that's not me is more of the sentiment that's being expressed there, at least I think in his mind, as opposed to like, no, I think you should hate these people. Uh, so I, I there should be some tolerance there and some education, but I, and again, I'm not part of that particular group that was slandered at that time. Those people may feel differently, but I, I do think that there are, the NBA provides a great chance to educate people and have people's views evolve on a lot of these issues. You know, someone like Jason Collins, for example, being, being in the NBA, uh and being out that uh, i thought was a great chance for people to to realize like no it's actually just fine to have a gay teammate like there's no problem with that so i i'm overall pretty pleased with the what the way the nba has handled things and look at what the alternative is too dan that's the other thing right like is there anybody who's doing better on this stuff than the nba considering their diverse membership and where some of the the people come from where they don't have experience with the some other groups like i think they're doing as good as they can overall i'm not sure what people would be asking them to do that they're not doing other than maybe on the china thing yeah i I think that's fair actually there's one more question we should do and i'm afraid you'll either give a really long answer but maybe a short one from loose goose no I, i wouldn't give a long answer um favorite thanksgiving side dish Oh, I did a whole pot about this, actually, with uh, Pelton and uh, Tristan Carasino, his, his brother. So if gravy is a side dish, then it's gravy. The gravy is my number one thing overall, I would say. So that's and I, I literally get my own gravy dish at Thanksgiving uh, that my stepfather gives me because I just use so much of it. So, yeah, probably got to be gravy. What if gravy doesn't count? <sighs> I tried not to give a long answer. <laughs> I'm also trying to uh, think of my own, like, I'm... I, I mean, what, what else is out? I'm trying to remember what I said. I mean, like obviously, cranberry yeah. sauce, stuffing. Uh, probably, probably stuffing, actually. I'd say, like, a now, don't put too much celery in that stuffing. Correct. But a really good stuffing with some sausage, really crispy, got a bunch of drippings on it. That it's probably would be it for me at this point. Yeah, Mac I probably, and cheese, if that can count, would be up there, too. Yeah, I'd probably go, go stuffing for myself. Um, I it, it, There is a lot of variance with all of them, but... Yeah, I, I think that's probably the way I, the way I would go, and I think we can leave it there. All right, thanks so much, everyone, for being subscribers. We really appreciate, of course, having you. This is our last episode before Thanksgiving. Still got one with John, but uh, definitely really, really thankful to have this community and to be supported by you while we are doing our dream jobs and to even have the wherewithal to bring in some other great content creators as well. So we are truly thankful for all of you, and we'll talk to you all on Sunday. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. 
From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.